Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 254. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. And today we're going to be discussing the difference between pity and compassion. Now, before conceiving of this topic and its specificity, I knew I wanted to talk about pity, and I have a particular reasoning for bringing it together in comparison with the word compassion as opposed to another, and that's because they're often considered synonymous. When you look up the definition of pity or compassion, you'll find one referencing the other, and I found this fascinating because I think there is a huge disparity between the two, namely that pity is a decidedly passive emotion. It doesn't encourage any kind of action or function as a catalyst for change in the same way I think compassion typically does. Compassion, on the other hand, as I've heard it described before, is a field of resonance. It is not only an emotion, but a virtue, something to be practiced and cultivated in our daily lives. When considering the definitions of both of these words, I also went ahead and looked up their etymologies. Pity is a derivative of the word piety, meaning religious observance. And that's a word that I want to focus on for a moment, observance. It suggests a kind of orthodoxy, whereas compassion suggests a kind of orthopraxy. It is the way that these observances and duties are lived, and therefore necessarily active. Very much in keeping with that etymological introduction, I reflected in preparation for this topic on the differences I observe in people around me as I see pity and compassion. And to me, one particularly illustrative example is in homelessness. I think many of us in silence and in non-interaction express or feel pity for those around us who are homeless. Some of us certainly feel contempt. We blame them. That's not a conversation I want to have presently, though a topic I do think very rich and worthy of discussion. But I think many of us walk by with pity. We don't acknowledge or interact we do, however, carry this feeling, and perhaps briefly, before sliding into another experience or continuing our conversation with a friend we were just having. Compassion, on the other hand, to me represents, as you said, the opposite of passivity, a kind of engagement and interaction. I suspect many people would reduce examples like this to financial terms, but in my mind, the distinction between these two, and this is in my experience of pity and compassion, is that they both recognize human suffering. But one, as you said, is an observation in pity. Compassion is doing something about it or creating a system that makes it easier to do something about it. There is something optimistic about it. Whereas pity, to me, feels philosophically pessimistic. Pity might have the slogan, that's a shame. Really wish the world weren't so bleak and difficult and sad. Compassion, to me, says... It's hard out there, but we can do something about it, or at least attempt it. And maybe the reason we see pity in the world is that people don't believe in compassion, or they've seen examples of compassion failing. But I don't think compassion is the same as blind idealism, and I think we're an incredibly smart species with an ever-expanding toolkit, especially in the 21st century. And in a modern context, I think compassion is so much more capable to me, pity is not growing in a positive way. Maybe we can experience digital pity for people thousands of miles away, but compassion does allow us to do a lot for some people that we may never even meet. I appreciate that you point us to this notion of the pessimism of pity, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I think one of the other elements of pity 
inextricably tied to pessimism is that it encourages a distance. Like I said earlier, compassion comes from roots, which mean suffer with. And I think this is one of the core characteristics of compassion. It necessitates proximity and intimacy because we have to locate ourself and the other. In pity, however, we focus on the disparity between self and other. We feel the pity we do because we perceive the context from which this other person comes as being somehow lesser to our own, simply because it is different. And oftentimes, sure, their situation may be worse than ours financially or relationally, but I do think, in operating from this point of view, that we misplace pity, that we give it to people who don't need it. And this is not only because it's not a particularly productive emotion from my point of view, but also because their lives may be joyful and fulfilling in ways that we simply don't understand and are incapable of seeing because we are so focused on the negatives, the ways that we perceive them to be suffering because their lives are different from our own. I've been thinking a lot about the people to whom we are allowed to show compassion and pity. And not only do I think we ascribe pity to people we feel are lesser than us in some way, often because we observe something pitiful about them, perhaps even project it upon them. But one key example that comes to my mind is where people in an upper class or more economically privileged position presume that everything about a lower class experience is lesser than. Don't get me wrong, I do not want to romanticize how difficult it must be to not know if you can pay all of your bills, to risk eviction, and suffer other things that I, Kip Clark, have not directly experienced in my life. But at the same time, I think it would be profoundly unwise to presume that everything about that experience is worthy of pity. And in fact, if one feels bad, one should do something to proactively change those circumstances. Can you help minimize class disparity? Can you learn about the experiences of people who have lived different lives than you? They may, as I'm very optimistic is the case, have access to wisdom that you don't have because you haven't lived the same lives. I think that's where pity really fails. It disrupts a relay that could otherwise be really effective. Imagine 10 billion computers, but none of them are connected to the internet. They're only so efficient. But when you connect all of them, which is what I would insinuate compassion does, their power is magnified. They're able to communicate with one another, to share, and potentially to compound their processing power and do a lot more. I think a lot of us live in a pity-laden society where we don't think about the ways that we can help others. And I also think the way these emotions feel is really valuable in this conversation. I'm not the kindest human being ever, but I enjoy the moments where I remind myself to be compassionate. And conversely, pity feels more like a candy. It may be satisfactory or feel correct in the moment, but as I think you and I would both agree, it's not ultimately as productive. I also think it's worth framing this conversation in terms of the self. If you pity yourself, I don't know that you'll change your circumstances. But if you try and find reasons or methods with which to be compassionate, to aid yourself, and forgive the human flaws of your character that are natural, I think you might progress further in life, do better, feel better about the life you're living and the person that you are. I find it to be incredibly valuable that you point out the class divisions often inherent in pity versus compassion. And it reminds me again 
of the degree of intimacy that is located in compassion. When I think of where compassion is most often found, it seems to be between friends. We often commiserate with our friends or are there to offer a listening ear. And what separates this kind of a sharing and engagement in compassion is that we choose to share facts, stories, or troubles with our friends. We let them into a part of our lives. Returning to your example of seeing a homeless person, on the other hand, they're not given a choice in sharing that hardship. We see it, whether they like it or not, because of the way they look and where we find them sleeping. And I think we often forget the intimacy of this experience, of seeing someone who's struggling in that way. And that's why I find it so interesting that we're drawn immediately to pity rather than compassion. It seems as though we don't think there's any way that we could relate to a person living on a street and forget altogether that they are a human being who has a story and characteristics, qualities, and relationships behind what we see in that moment. And it's here, in this idea, that I locate a relationship between the other point you brought up regarding compassion and pity towards ourselves. You described compassion towards oneself as a kind of forgiveness, a kindness, and I think that's exactly how we should see it. Pity towards ourselves, on the other hand, I think not only discourages our changing, leaving us in an apathetic and stagnant state, but also fosters a kind of cruelty. We don't believe in ourselves as being capable of change or as being worth more than we are in our worst state, in our most pitiful. And I think that we find this relationship to ourselves, this kind of cruelty, as I said, reflected in the ways that we see the people we consider degenerates or outcasts of our society, the people we pity but keep at an arm's distance. We feel bad for them, but we don't want to engage with them. I think we don't want to recognize this lack of engagement as a kind of cruelty or hostility, but that's what it is. Now, this isn't to say that we need to feel obligated to solve the world's problems, and I don't think that's what compassion tells us to do, but it does require us to consider the problems around us, the things that other people face. We don't have to make everything better, and more often than not, we can't. However, I do think it's important that we do what we can when we can. To me, what ties all of this together is the concept of story and narrative. I think with pity, we make vast generalizations. I've certainly pitied myself before, and in that unproductive, but I think very familiar and relatable state for many of us, I picked out, and in the present tense, still at times, pick out particular details of my life that craft a certain negatively reinforced narrative. And as we've both touched upon, it doesn't produce much change, certainly not any positive change. I also think with other people that we pity, we take out individual bullet points we think exist and string together either an insultingly brief or an insultingly negative narrative of another human being. They deserve the fate they've gotten for one reason or another. We don't allow them, as you said in the homeless example, the opportunity to tell a story. We don't simply refuse to give homeless people our time. I suspect on some level we are aware that if we were to hear their stories, we couldn't help but humanize them because it's in our nature to understand other people through narrative. And maybe we save ourselves from feeling more than pity by not giving them the time of day because narrative would complicate that. So in closing, I would say that I'd love our audience to think about the narratives they have of other people and how that influences pitiable or compassionate feelings towards those people. Of course, there are other emotions, 
But for the sake of this episode, I'd love to hear your thoughts on narrative influence over these two concepts. Kathleen and I have also painted pity to be less than ideal, not helpful, negative, more so than compassion. But that's our perspective, and I'd be curious to know if any of you listening disagree with us. But Kathleen, having shared that, before we conclude this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to our discussion? Jumping off of your last point, I'm interested to hear if anybody thinks that pity can be used as a tool. I think this could be especially relevant to fundraising campaigns, partially because it imbues us with a sense of guilt, reminding us of what we have and what others do not. And this is another question that I'd like listeners to dwell on for a bit. In what way is pity tied to guilt? But on the other hand, how pity might also be related to self-gratification, something that I think is especially relevant in cases of self-pity. It seems to me that these feelings of guilt and self-gratification are tangled up in a big mess and, I think, a worthwhile dynamic to explore and interrogate. And to that point of further interrogation, because this is Stride and Saunter, we want to know what you think. So if you have any opinions, comments, or thoughts of any kind, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. Go in peace and conversation.